The first signs of Alzheimer's disease may be in the eyes, according to researchers at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. In a new study published in the journal Acta Neuropathologica, scientists found that certain kinds of inflammation and tissue atrophy were associated with Alzheimer's and early cognitive decline. This could help doctors diagnose Alzheimer's disease before symptoms of cognitive impairment begin and allow people to make lifestyle changes to mitigate the disease's progression. This is Pulse Check. I'm Megan Messerly. An FDA spokesperson confirmed to Politico that the agency knew that some infant formula products were contaminated with bacteria three months before it issued a recall. Formula giant Reckitt found the bacteria during internal testing in early September and destroyed that batch. But the FDA later determined not enough cleaning had been done and recalled two subsequent batches in late February. While the recall was relatively small compared to the Abbott recall last year, the revelation renews concerns about the FDA's oversight of formula. Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth is asking the Federal Trade Commission to investigate drug wholesaler Amerisource Bergen after the company, which is the only U.S. supplier of the brand name abortion pill Mifeprex, said it wouldn't distribute the drug to pharmacies in 29 states, including some where abortion is legal. Duckworth argues the company's decision will restrict consumer choice, lessen competition, and increase costs for patients. Amerisource Bergen has said it will continue to make the drug available to eligible medical providers and clinics where allowed by law. And as cannabis products are legalized in states, some researchers can't study their health effects because the products remain federally illegal. Politico cannabis reporter Natalie Fertig is here to talk about a recent interview she had with Dr. Wilson Compton, the deputy director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Yeah, thanks for having me. What did you learn from him about where the federal government is at on cannabis research? Yeah, I learned a lot of really fantastic and interesting things from him. NIDA has been researching cannabis for a very long time, and their focus really is on the impacts of cannabis on human bodies, on teenagers. But through that, they've also looked into how cannabis can be used sometimes for positive drug use, right? So they have a a broad range of things that they are researching. One thing that I thought was interesting that he told me is that they're really not looking very much into CBD, that there are other agencies in the federal government that are focused on CBD. So I think there's sometimes confusion about what NIDA is actually focusing on and what they're actually researching. But he had a lot of really fantastic things to say, specifically about cannabis as a gateway drug, about youth use, and just about what they wish they could do to have even better research. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, cannabis as a gateway drug. You know, I know there's been a lot of disagreement around this. Can you walk me through that? Yeah. So it's it's quite often that I'll be sitting in a committee hearing on Capitol Hill or I'll be interviewing a lawmaker and they will bring up this concept of cannabis as a gateway drug. And you'll get lawmakers who are pro-cannabis saying, we know definitively that cannabis is not a gateway drug. And then you'll get lawmakers who don't want to legalize cannabis or expand access to cannabis. And they'll say, we know definitively that cannabis is a gateway drug. So you've still got lawmakers on both sides of this issue saying explicitly that science proves one thing or another. And Dr. Compton said they've been looking at this for 50 years, 5-0, not 15, 50 and still do not have an answer to that question. So every lawmaker ever who claims that they know that cannabis is or is not a gateway drug is 
wrong, essentially. And what it comes down to is that there are so many other questions that need answering before they can pin down, is cannabis the gateway? Do people who like new experiences, people who are adrenaline junkies, are they attracted to all drugs and cannabis is just the first and the easiest to get a hold of? Or does cannabis change something within your body, within your biological system to make you more interested in other drugs, which is what would be scientifically considered a gateway, is that cannabis and the consumption of cannabis changes you to want those other drugs that you would not have wanted otherwise. In a different part of the conversation, Dr. Compton also talked about the decline in youth tobacco use potentially being linked to the lack of an increase in youth marijuana use. So we also know that there's a link between nicotine, tobacco consumption, and cannabis consumption. And you have to separate all of these things out in order to definitively say, cannabis changes your body, so you want other harder drugs. And that's just, they don't have a full answer to that yet. That's fascinating. So zooming out a little bit, you know, you mentioned that it's kind of this chicken and egg kind of scenario between, you know, research on cannabis and legalization. Can you walk me through that tension there? Yeah. So one of the things that hinders cannabis research is the fact that it is a schedule one drug, which is the highest, most severe category for drugs. And and someone explained it to me recently. There's a schedule one drug, and then there's all of the other schedules, two through five. Two through five are considered to in some way have medical use. So studying them for medical use in different capacities is much easier. Schedule one is considered to have no medical use. So studying it for medical use and its impact on people who use it as medicine is very difficult. NIDA is not really studying it for its use on medicine, but they still have, um, you know, meet hit some of the same hurdles that other researchers hit when they're trying to study it. They cannot ever purchase cannabis that is sold on a street. So if you or I went out to a medical marijuana dispensary in Washington, D.C., or one of these gray unlicensed dispensaries in Washington, D.C., and purchased a cannabis product, they would never be able to replicate that, go in and Mm -hmm. purchase that product and say, we know what's in this product. We know how it impacts people. They have to study cannabis that's grown academically or for research Mm -hmm. in places like the University of Mississippi or by some other research producers. So Dr. Compton told me that, you know, while they could replicate flour, there's a lot of products that they can't replicate. He mentioned really high potency products like Shatter, which is a a kind of hardened cannabis oil product, and other oil-based products. A lot of times those have 80, 90% THC. And we know from other scientists, um, there's a, a scientist at the University of at Yale University, for example, who's studied the impact of these really high potency products on youth brains. And that's where the biggest red flags are of what is the impact of this. There's enough research to say that it has some really negative impacts, mm-hmm. but fully sussing out exactly what those are, they can't get to that yet. So NIDA really can't do research on, you know, shatter that a 21-year-old who still has a developing brain might be able to buy in a medical dispensary. Wow. So what's happening in Congress on this? 
Congress actually came very close last year to giving scientists like those at NIDA access to those products. Uh, The U.S. House of Representatives passed a medical marijuana research bill that did include the ability for scientists with research licenses to walk into state legal cannabis dispensaries. So that'd be, you know, a recreational dispensary in California, a medical dispensary in D.C. or in Oklahoma, and purchase the products there and study them. When that bill got to the Senate, that portion of the legislation was stripped out. And that was honestly when that legislation was making its way through Congress, that portion of the bill was what scientists told me was going to make the biggest difference in that bill. Mm -hmm. That bill does make it easier for them to conduct their research and to study cannabis, but that was this big sort of shining light that they were all, I've heard them for years say, they're so frustrated that they can't walk a block away from their research facility and purchase the cannabis that people on the street around them are consuming and say, hey, this is good for you, or this is bad for you, or, you know, this product has a different impact than this other product on your body. But they came really close, but nope, Congress didn't do that. So what are you going to be looking out for on this moving forward? Well, I doubt that Congress is going to come back and revisit that. Science, as you may know, as a healthcare reporter, takes forever. So really, the the biggest thing that we're looking at that's specific to NIDA is that in about five years, they will finish this big study that they've been doing on adolescents. They've been following thousands of children from all over the United States. They've already been following them for about five years. And, you know, they're they're talking to these kids about cannabis consumption. Not all the kids are consuming cannabis. Some are, some are not. But they're doing brain scans of the kids so that they compare, you know, these two kids had similar brain scans at age eight. They consumed cannabis for 10 years at age 18. How are their brain scans different? Are they different? So that this is actually going to give some new, hopefully definitive evidence um, to things like it it might even answer if cannabis is a gateway drug. We don't know yet. Mm. Um, Dr. Compton said he hopes that they might get some answers like that. But that's going to be a study that's really going to tell Americans what the impact of cannabis is on youth brains and developing brains. And that's going to be really important. But it'll still be about five years before they even complete the research. And then, you know, they have to go through the research and write the study. So it's still it's still a ways away. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, I know you'll be covering this closely. Um, and thank you so much for for coming on and walking us through this today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Raghu Manavalan is our editor. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Amund is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Megan Messerly. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.